You know, this is good exercise. You know that, yes? One day we will stand before his throne and do nothing but this. Just sing his praise, declare his glory, and lift him up. We need this exercise, yes? Uh, we talked about exercise last Sunday. We're not going to do that again this Sunday. But boy, this, is, this was good exercise. In fact, this morning, I uh, maybe rather than just uh, a traditional or normal just uh, sermon as such, I just want to talk to you and just share uh, some things uh, from Scripture and from my heart. Uh, you know we're going through uh, this Bible study uh, during uh, Sunday night, so we kind of cover uh, the whole spectrum of God's story beginning in Genesis, ending in Revelation, kind of a storyline approach. Most of you uh, are part of it, many of you are, we could be even more. Uh, we are kind of at a, at a point now of change. If, if you felt like you didn't get started in the beginning, this would be a good time, and it would be a good time to invite friends who may be part of other churches that do not have Sunday night service, and you can invite them uh, as well. We will tonight deal with, with uh, the period after they came back from the exile and uh, the period that uh, most uh, Christians may not know too much about, the, the period between the two Testaments. What happened after the close of Malachi and before the beginning, 400 years later or so, of Matthew? And so um, one of the key figures in the period after the exile is Nehemiah, and I'd like for us to talk to, about him <clears throat> this morning. Uh, some of you are aware that about uh, five years ago or so, we, we launched, we, as my, me and, and uh, my wife and a smaller group of, of people at church in South Florida in a highly non-churched area. In fact, there are far more synagogues than churches in that area. And I wondered at first why there were so few churches right uh, in, in that uh, particular point, and we found that out. Nobody comes by and visits automatically, right? There's everyone that you talk to about Jesus, you deliberately talk to about Jesus. There's no automatic uh, built in that system at all. And we, we started this church and and we um, called it a community shaped by Christ, and we kind of did it under three major headings. We wanted to be Christ-centered, we wanted to be community-focused, and we wanted to be mission-oriented. And we started because there was a very specific task to be done. There was a call to be followed. There was a purpose, if you will, to be fulfilled, we had no real desire to just be there for the sake of just being there unless we felt driven by God's call and by God's purpose. Opposite uh, a new start, a new church start, First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches have been here for 132 years. Still, God's call and God's purpose has not changed. If you ever say amen, this will be a good point saying that. 
You know, amen means this is so, yes? And so this Sunday morning, we stand here at the threshold of a new beginning, so to speak, right? This launching of a new year of ministry. School is back. People are back. Things are ready to begin. Last Sunday, we, we did what churches do, often kind of whatever we call it, promotion, or we go to the other Sunday school class, except we don't, and all that kind of stuff, right? You know what I'm talking about. But we're getting ready. We understand this is a new time, a season filled with new opportunity, also for us to be Christ-centered, community-focused, and mission-oriented. To be mission-oriented, of course, means to recognize that there is a task that needs to be done, a task that's given to us by no one less than our Lord and Savior, God's Son, Jesus Christ. We are kingdom citizens. We call to live in such a way that with our testimony and with the way we act, we, we reveal our relationship to Almighty God. If we have a vision here at First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches, if we see the possibilities that God has laid before us for the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will all begin when we realize that there's a task to be done. In this new situation, we may, must realize that there's an area to be encircled, if you will, with the gospel, surrounded by the love of Jesus Christ. And so God is inviting us. He is inviting us and you, empowering us and you for a purpose. There's a task to be done. So to help us match that situation with a biblical text, I invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. Nehemiah's task, of course, was to help God's people experience God's presence and purpose for the city in which they lived. I'm not going to read the whole two chapters, but I am going to read <clears throat> sections from it. Beginning in chapter 1, The words of Nehemiah, <clears throat> son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, that's about November, December, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanina, one of my brothers, came to, from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, 
the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his command. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins of the Israelites, including myself and my father's house, that we have committed against you. Then chapter 2. In the months of Nisan, that's about March, April, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so when the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when, are you, when you're not ill, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I, I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what do you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let me... Let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. On to verse 11. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. And then verse 17, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king has said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began the good work. Let's talk about this, friends. Nehemiah, a regular layman. His name means the Lord is comfort. His task was to help God's people experience God's presence and purpose and to help them rebuild their focus on God. His burden was for the city, pure and simple. And I'm praying that as we look at Nehemiah and his burden for Jerusalem, that we in our heart may feel the same kind of burden for our city, our area. The same kind of responsibility, if you will. We can get caught up in so many things and Christian have, have been, not the least in the last several decades, 
confusing externality with internality that we thought if we could just get some different political things in order, people would automatically kind of come to follow God. And we thought that if we could do it, then other things would follow instead of realize there's not ever going to be any political change among people until there is a heart change in people. Purpose is to bring people back to God. You know, one could ask, what in the world would some kind of Jewish layperson who lived about 24, 2,500 years ago, how can he relate to anything that we do in the challenging challenges that we have these many years and these millennia later in Nacogdoches, in East Texas, the southern part of the U.S., if you will, and I'll say much in every way. Of course, his setting was quite different. And the purpose, though, and the call had not changed. Now, he was <clears throat> a Jew, and we are pagans. He was uh, in, in, in Susa, the capital of Persia. We are in Nacogdoches, in, in East Texas, in the part of, of this greater area that we, we call the, the southeast or southern, southwest, whatever you want to call it, significant area of the U.S. But he was called by God to encircle and surround Jerusalem to help them in that effort. And so we are in similar ways kind of called to surround this area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we may think we're so different. We live in a special time. After all, 21st century, how much new stuff is not going on, you know, it's not quite relatable because back then they were all primitives and no real, real stuff changed. Well, let me mention this to you. While Nehemiah was building a wall around Jerusalem, this was a world in absolute utter change and much of what we think and what we do today started then. During the 80-year lifespan or so of of Nehemiah, some of the grandest group of people were there that we will ever know in all the world history. Same time as Nehemiah, you find Aristophanes, the great Greek comic playwright. He's been called the father of all comedy. That's where that genre began. So to be the great historian, Herodotus wrote while Nehemiah built. Well, Herodotus, if you are not familiar with him, he has been called 
the father of history. He was the one who moved history to the point where we are building and, and doing our narratives according to the facts that we have researched, not just stories that are told. Socrates and Plato were doing philosophy in the streets of Athens when Nehemiah was building a wall in Jerusalem. These were magnificent, powerful days. And yet, when it comes to the work of God and what had had lasting significance for God's work in the world, none of these great towering figures have had more impact than Nehemiah. He was making the city ready for God. Well, let me see if I can put this in, in another context as we talk about it. I just want to chat about this, friends, that we hear the urgency and the call from God on a Sunday like that. It's been about 100 years or so since the Babylonian army with Nebuchadnezzar leading it, came in and destroyed Jerusalem and its walls and the city and the temple and took the citizens back to Babylon. Everything was empty and void. It was so bad that Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations said, holy stones were scattered in the streets of Jerusalem. And so, it had become a disgrace. No real evidence of God's presence. No testimony to the living God who was the Lord of heaven and of earth. And so, Nehemiah stands up and he says, friends, let's encircle this city for God's sake. And you know, when we look at Nehemiah on the one hand and look at the task that we have been called to do and that we are reminded of, of a, on a Sunday like this, the principles that become directly applicable from a text like this. First, of course, you realize that there are people who see the need and people who are willing to get involved. Nehemiah could have isolated himself as easily as anything. We know that he was one of the top kahunas. Is that a word? In Persia. He was a direct counselor to the king. Not many did the king or the emperor trust more than him as he gave him the very wine that could have been poisoned, but he trusted Nehemiah to give him some that was not. Now he had come probably as a son or, or he was his parents, a better way of stating, maybe even his parents, grandparents, were prisoners of war coming and being led to Babylon but Nehemiah were no longer sitting there and singing the old sad songs at the river of, of Babylon. He was now on the top of the world, one among a million 
with security and with opportunity. Everything was just right. He was in the palace. There was not a privilege that was not his. He was in the best of his career, in his best age. Everything was just great. And now some brother comes from Judah and says, things are not well there. From the top point, pinnacle of influence, enjoyment of privileges like only few has, Nehemiah says, I'm a part. Of that. These are my people. They've been called by God like I have. And the Bible actually says that he cried and mourned for days and days until he cried out to the living God. There's no, I know it's not so good. I'm going to see what I can do. I'll make some phone calls. These are my folks. <clears throat> Put differently, it meant something to Nehemiah. That people, apparently, no longer trusted God. That the city was in need of a new encounter with God. He was distant. He didn't have to care but they were his people. He was part of it. He didn't isolate himself. In fact, he includes himself. What had he done back before when Nebuchadnezzar came in as God's tool for judgment? He wasn't even born. What's going on? But he said, these are my people and it is therefore my call. doesn't matter that I'm a privileged person and that I personally will be okay and in fact all this is going to do to me is give me more hassle than I used to not have it may even put me in danger in situations that I would never be in unless I am concerned and involve myself so he stood before the king or the emperor and the emperor say, looks at him, he says, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? It must be sadness of heart. Just imagine this. It was carved into his facial features. He was chiseled into his heart, his very being, and he could not hide it. His concern for the people around him or even for the people that were his people in a city far away. And I read this and I'm thinking, imagine what can happen if that became our zeal. Just imagine. The largest church in this area, certainly the strongest in so many ways, yes? Imagine if that zeal from our point of privilege, we said, these are my people. I must 
Make sure that I have done everything I possibly can to be a part of sharing the good word surrounding this area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's quite an amazing thing. As we look, you, I think some of you are aware that the fastest growing state in these United States, at least according to what I could Google, is Texas. Texas. Oh, well, that's where we live, friends. <laughs> and we feel all these strangers are coming in. We don't know them. They don't know us, right? And we have fun kind of stickers saying, I wasn't born here, but I got here as quick as I can. And all kinds of stickers, right? Full with pride, filled with pride. Imagine if God says, I need people to hear the gospel. I'm going to send them where my people are located because they certainly will encircle these new neighborhoods. They'll encircle these new people, surround them with the gospel of my son, Jesus Christ. Should we not welcome that? We don't even have to leave. We can keep our bumper sticker. We got here as fast as we could. And we stayed because we don't have to leave because people are coming to us. Are there mouthpieces that care the same way Nehemiah did? I think it's pretty clear. We have 13,000 new students. I, I talked to one of the people at at the university. And he's at 13,000 students this year at SFA. And if they bother you in Walmart or in the parking lot, you got to talk to God, friends. They're not automatically coming to church. You know that. There's no automatic in that. I bet you half of them might have grown up in churches like this, maybe even two-thirds or three-fourths. Doesn't mean necessarily that they're coming to church. They need to find caring people who want to share with them the gospel and just surround them with God's love. They're not in Houston. They're not in Dallas. They're in Nacogdoches. Texas. This is the kind of thing that will wake me up in the middle of the night. Thinking, God, what can we do? How can we make a difference? You know good and well when, when you open the television, you see that unless something happens with God's church, and they hear this and they have the heart of a person like Nehemiah, we're going to be, be experiencing a tsunami of paganism just swallowing over, running over, flooding over every area we have known, as it did indeed in Jerusalem. 
Churches have tried all kinds of things. You know that. We've tried seeker-sensitive. We've tried, you know, entertainment models. We've tried kind of just about any model, you know, motivational stuff. Just, you know, go, come, feel good. We tried to do every kind of thing just so that we could please people. They would like to come. They enjoyed whatever music was there. And if not, they'll find some place where they did. And none of that had had any effect. It really hadn't done much of a dent for the gospel in the populations around us. What we need, friends, is a model that transforms people, that changes people, that require us to look at Christ and say, that's whom I call, that's who I call Lord, and that's who I follow, and I'm going to talk to other people about him. While we have our cute little discussions, and I'm not just talking about our church, I'm talking about Christians in general. But this is the point for us. Thousands of people go lost. Because we're not focusing on God's purposes. Look at Nehemiah. He's not just awaiting better news. He says, what can I do? How can I be there? He cared for the work. And now as you look, he engages himself. And after the king has seen his, his sadness and his sorrow, Nehemiah steps out and we see how God can use even a pagan king this this was probably the the birthday of the king we know from historical sources that at the king's birthday in Persia he would grant someone whatever wish he may have and here's Nehemiah's what do you want well listen to this well, dear emperor, could you give me the grandest house in the bluff overlooking the river? Set me up for a pension so I'll never have to work again in my life. I want all my family taken good care of and all. He said none of that. He said, give me a passport so I can go to Jerusalem and complete the purpose of God in my life. Whew. Ought to give us goosebumps. What do you want? I have the power to give you any and all things that you may put on your list. And he says, I just want safe travel to Jerusalem. When I get there, I need some wood to rebuild that wall. What do you think you might have asked for? What is on top? Of your list. And God uses in magnificent way this pagan king. And Nehemiah moves back 
And things happen in an amazing way. He's starting a brand new journey. With resources to complete God's task. See, that's the thing as we step out. God will provide in whatever way needed the resources so we can fulfill his work. And again, my mind is running and I'm thinking, what if we, all of us here, sacrificed our time? Let me take that back. I don't need to say that. Just say, if we just use an hour or two every day, not sacrificed our time, just an hour or two. Maybe even just an hour or two every week to share our testimony, to share God's love in a way that it could not be misunderstood with people around us. And we, in the fastest time ever, would see that this became the place of presence, God's presence, invitation, and in every way, the place of God. Nehemiah was just a layman. He was not full-time in ministry. He was just concerned on the side and used his free time in the beginning. He didn't know the full extent of what he was doing. He just heard God say, I need you to be a part of my purpose. And I need you to use the skills and the abilities and the place that you have to accomplish that. And so he did what he knew to do. He had heard that the wall was, was, was in disarray and the, the gates had been burned down and he rebuilt that in an amazing, amazing time. And I'll speak a little bit more on the history of that maybe tonight, but it, even tonight it's going to be brief on this. But think of this. As he built his wall to protect God's place in God's city, hundreds of years, centuries, even millennia, but centuries passed. Centuries passed. Persians were knocked out of power. The Greeks came and took over. Greeks were knocked out of power. Romans came and took over. And the work of Nehemiah stood. Until one day, the true king of kings, 12-year-old boy, Jesus, son of Joseph, son of Mary, son of God, stepped in into that city. And suddenly, things were clear, right? That's what that is about. Wouldn't that be similar to us right here? Just think about this. Making the city and this area ready to receive her king 
when he comes. I don't know really how to how to end this, but then again, it's just a talk, right? So I don't have to end it in any kind of poetic way, right? Three points in a poem. But it is my prayer, friends, and it is my desire that we grasp the significance of the situation. That we are filled with a kind of sense of God's calling and opportunity. This is not a dirge. This is not sad. This is not how bad is it. This is getting away from singing these sad songs and the river of Babylon and standing with the king and saying, we want to be part of what God is doing. Yes, that's it. Filled with joy and opportunity, we can encircle and surround this area with God's word and God's gospel. Should we not do that? What did they say? They said, let's do it. Isn't that what it says? I love the way it ends. They replied and said, let's start. And so they began their good work. Father, you see our hearts. You're the one planning the visions in our hearts. And Father, I now ask that we as a church right here with the enormous amount of potential and resources that you have given us that we may hear that call. We may look at people, regular folks like Nehemiah and said, Father, make me and Nehemiah eager to surround every place I go with the gospel and right here as a church community may that happen Father I ask and I realize even in a crowd like this there may be some who has not yet heard fully and certainly not recepted or received fully that gospel Father may it be that we even here even this morning are willing to submit ourselves for the first time. Say, I want to be part. I want to be like Nehemiah. For the second time, maybe in the third. For the sake of your gospel, your purpose, your call. Father, we confess with Nehemiah that Although we may not have been part of all of this, we were your people. And so we want to hear your call and be part. Speak to us. Speak to us. Speak to us. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a song. As we sing, if the Lord has spoken to you,
respond. You can come up here, grab someone's hand, come and kneel, pray. Someone needs to talk to someone else about knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a good time. Others may want to say, hey, I want to be part of this people. I want to be able to say I'm part of that people whom God has given a great purpose.